gymnast Allie Raisman testifying against Larry Nasser, convicted child molester and rapist. Or maybe you think of Tarana Burke, the founder of the Me Too movement. Today I'm gonna to talk about ordinary courage that Jesus calls us into that's different from these images that we may more readily associate with courage. Ordinary courage that I don't have stock photos for, but if I did, those images would represent these acts. Are there slides for that, Chris? Yeah, awesome, that's okay. Picture of someone giving a speech when they're scared to be in front of people instead of avoiding it. Picture of a four-year-old child telling his teacher, please be gentle with me. It scares me and it hurts my heart when you yell at me, instead of being silent. Picture of a bystander intervening when someone on the subway is being verbally assaulted with racial slurs instead of looking away. Picture of a guy saying, hey, that's not cool, man, instead of laughing along to another guy engaging in toxic locker room talk, dehumanizing a woman and her body. Picture of someone telling their boss that they're struggling with alcoholism and needs to scale back to get help instead of lying about their frequent call-outs or just quitting altogether. So ordinary courage can be found in the small choices that we make every single day. Choices to lean into discomfort when it's easier to be comfortable. Choices to speak up when it's not popular to do so. Choices to confront fears instead of avoiding them. And I would like to offer that choosing courage allows each of us to encounter a life that is fuller, more satisfying, more honest, and lived inside of integrity. It's the kind of life that Jesus calls us into. Before I go on any further, I have to give credit to the work and research of Brené Brown. She's a social scientist who studies shame and vulnerability. Really fun stuff. And her work has radically changed my life, and it directly informs the content of this talk. So on the off chance that you're listening in, Brené Brown, you're really amazing. Thank you for your work. I love Brené Brown's definition of courage. In her book, Daring Greatly, she states that courage starts with just showing up and letting yourselves be seen. Sounds easy, right? Nope, it's not easy at all. I can tell you from my own experience that it's been one of the hardest things to allow myself to be seen for who I really am. What's been stopping me? Fear. Fear of rejection, of being judged, fear of being ridiculed, fear of being the last one chosen or not chosen at all, fear of being abandoned, fear of failing and making a mistake, fear of not being or looking perfect. That last one, the fear of not being or looking perfect, it's my biggest shame trigger. It's the thing that led to my recent unraveling. I have shared the story of my mother with folks at Mosaic before, but for some of you, it may be the first time you're hearing it. When I was only four years old, my birth mother left me my younger sister, and my father due to some serious mental health challenges. 
What this did to my young, developing brain was create an intense fear of abandonment. Being only four years old, and if you have a four-year-old, you know how this works. I also blamed myself for her leaving. The trauma of her leaving made me believe that I was unworthy, unlovable, and so very leavable. Somehow I convinced myself that if I didn't make any mistakes, act and appear perfect, perform really hard, please others, nobody would leave me. And this is the root of my perfectionism. So being seen as my true, authentic, and imperfect self can feel like literal death to me. It can drive me into actual panic attacks. For most of my life, I hid behind a false persona of perfection and a heavy armor of lies that said, hey world, here's who I want you to believe who I really am. I don't make mistakes. I can perform and please the heck out of any skeptic or critic. I can win you over. But spoiler alert, you can't be perfect. You can't, believe me. I tried really hard to be perfect for 37 years. I never once attained it because it's an illusion. And striving and striving for it led me to utter exhaustion, deep anxiety, debilitating depression, numbing behaviors, and loneliness. Ironically, it led me to the very thing I feared the most, abandonment. Because every time I pleased, perfected, or performed to earn love and acceptance, I abandoned my own self over and over again. Brené Brown calls this the hustle. She states that healthy striving is self-focus. It asks, how can I improve? But perfectionism is other-focused. What will they think? Perfectionism is a hustle. And guess what? Hustling is exhausting. And it was in this exhaustive state that I finally broke down not so long ago and said, I give up, this sucks. I use more colorful language, but I won't <laughs> use that language here with you all. We have kids in the room. I'm exhausted. I'm drinking too much. I'm unhealthy. I'm lonely. This is not the best version of myself to offer to my kids, to my partner, to my work, my friends, or myself. And then in my desperation, I reached out to Jesus and I prayed to him. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And Jesus has come. And Jesus continues to meet me as I step out onto the water with courage, the way he met Peter out on the water. And Jesus supports me when I begin to sink with doubt or fear or shame, the way he held Peter up when he began to sink. So let's read about this moment in the scriptures. You can follow along with what's projected, or it's also found in your bulletin. The passage comes from Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And like Peter in this passage, walking out into the water for me means that I embrace uncertainty and I let go of my need for perfection and control. Walking out into the water is my way of saying, I'm ready to choose courage and show up as my true and imperfect self. So how do I show up as my true self? It means I have to be vulnerable. Ooh, another fun word vulnerability. How many people here, upon hearing the word vulnerability, immediately think weakness or respond internally with a cringe? Yikes. Raise your hands if that is you. If that feels too vulnerable, you can just nod your head. <laughs> Judging from the laughter, that's a lot of you. Brené Brown states that vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness. Our very own Brianna Wieland recently shared with me what it means to be vulnerable. Brianna writes, in the moment, practicing vulnerability for me feels like dropping the shield I always carry around with me and letting someone see me, the real me. It is so refreshing and risky that I love it, but also feel almost immediately exposed while simultaneously excited at the prospect that I tried again and let it last a bit longer and didn't die right on the spot. <laughs> Vulnerability is the only way I know how to know and be known. I have to show myself to others and then beautifully, they often return the gesture. It brings me so much joy when it happens, so it's worth it most of the time. Thank you, Brianna, for allowing me to share your story today. For me, vulnerability means letting go of perfection and declaring out loud, here's who I actually am. Here's what I need. Here's what I won't allow you to do to me or say to me. Here's where I'm doubting myself and don't know what, colorful language, I'm doing. Here's where I made a mistake. Being vulnerable for me means having those hard conversations with people that I really, really, really want to like me and letting go of the desire to be liked all the time. It's showing up as my true and imperfect and sometimes messy self and declaring, I am enough. And by being vulnerable, I'm also practicing courage. You see, we're not born with courage. It's not an inherent trait that's passed down. It's a practice and it's a choice. And the more we choose it and the more we practice it, the bigger our courage muscle grows. 
Did you know we had such a thing as a courage muscle? It's different for everyone, but mine exists right here in my heart. And when I'm needing a dose of courage, I place my hands on my heart just like this, and I invite Jesus to meet me. And sometimes I pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, over and over again. Sometimes I can't even muster all those words, so it's just Jesus, 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 and he meets me every time, time and time again. They're out in the water here in my heart. Sometimes I just repeat the mantras, the mantras that God gave me at my lowest point. I am strong, I am loved, I am beautiful. And sometimes I just take a deep breath and show myself some gentleness and compassion. This is where my courage lies. To choose courage is to choose to live from one's heart. I learned to pray when I'm needing a dose of courage from the best role model out there. It's Jesus himself. So let's read about how Jesus confronts fear and chooses courage. The passage comes from Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. We read in the scriptures that Jesus was in anguish right before his death, so much that in another account of this story, he was literally sweating blood. When confronting his fear, knowing that death was inevitable, Jesus chose to pray, to invite God into his vulnerability. From God, he drew strength and courage to face his fear. So why should we choose courage if it's not easy at all? Brianna Wieland, again, shared her experience of what it feels like to choose courage when it's not easy. Brianna says, choosing courage is always the scary and risky choice. But most times with those feelings also comes the knowing sense in your gut that it's just the right thing to do. Over the last couple of years, I've tried to choose the action or choice that requires courage and overcome my fear because it actually truly expresses who I really am and reaps the most beautiful and authentic fruit. It's often the more difficult choice, but it has been life-changing for me. It has set me free to be more myself for me and those around me. Don't get me wrong, this was so honest of you. I don't always choose it, but I'm trying to choose it more often than not, and it's making a difference in my daily life. Thank you, Brianna. 
So perhaps choosing courage, even when it's hard, is the choice that helps us reap the most beautiful and authentic fruit, as Brianna uh, just described. Another way to think about it is that when we choose courage, even when it's hard, it helps us live a more satisfying and joyful life. Living in the pursuit of per uh, perfection led me to a lot of numbing and self-medicating behavior. And in numbing the hard feelings, I also ended up numbing the good ones. So I numbed out joy, peace, gratitude, self-pride, and self-confidence. The numbed life was not the life that Jesus had promised me. Jesus promised us, promises us a life that is lived in abundance. So let's, let's read about that together. The passage can be found in John 10.10. 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The thief that was stealing, killing, and destroying me was the lie of perfectionism. Jesus offers me and you a life that is rich and satisfying, one that is abundant with his shalom peace, joy, and life-giving truths. It's such an important promise that it's actually a core part of our church's mission statement. Does anybody know it by heart? I'm on staff and I don't know it by heart, so that's okay. Here it is. Mosaic Community Church, Philadelphia, seeks to make, we should, actually, we should all read it together. Can we all read it together, nice and loud? All right, here we go. Mosaic Community Church, Philadelphia, seeks to make our great city even better by joining in Jesus's ongoing work in our world so that all people might have spiritually connected, purpose-filled, and satisfying lives. Who doesn't want a life that is spiritually connected, purpose-filled, and satisfying? I want that life. But as Brené Brown suggests, you can't selectively numb the bad feelings without numbing the good ones. Living with satisfaction, connection, and purpose means I embrace all of it, the good and the ugly, the tough and the beautiful. The more I lean into the discomfort of being vulnerable, the more I'm able to access joy. Joy is the woohoo that effortlessly comes out of my mouth when I'm sledding down the hills in Clark Park with my family. How many people have gone sledding in Clark Park in those awesome, it's, we call it the bowl, it literally is a bowl, and it makes for the best sledding. Joy is the silliness that I get to tap into with my sons when we have our impromptu dance sessions in the living room and we're showing off our weirdest moves. Weird moves. Joy is the endorphin rush I get when I'm in mile two of my daily run. I start smiling ear to ear during this endorphin <laughs> rush. I think Jim Schroeder may have seen this and I look crazy. I know I do, straight up crazy because runner's high is a real thing. Joy is gleefully sock skating with my sons and feeling like a kid again. You heard me right, sock skating, not ice skating. You don't put on ice skates and glide on ice. You take off your shoes and use your socks to glide on very smooth plastic. It's a real thing. It helps you get a running start. You can't go backwards, and it's super, super fun. Joy isn't the only emotion I can access again as I choose courage. I'm experiencing peace again. 
Peace is sitting with a hard emotion and not judging it or myself, but gently offering it space and compassion and letting it pass. Peace is sitting in silence, waiting to meet God in that silence or experiencing Jesus's presence every time I put my hands on my heart like this. I'm also experiencing self-confidence and self-pride again, rejecting the lies that come with judgment, criticism, the fear of failure. In embracing both the hard and the good, I'm choosing to live a life of abundance. I also want to offer that when you choose courage, it allows you to practice integrity and live inside your values. If you're the type of listener who likes to fill in the blanks during sermons, but you miss a few, here's the whole outline filled out for you. We'll pause a few moments, just a few, so fill them in quickly. If you're good, you can give me a nod. All right. In her most recent book, Dare to Lead, Brené Brown defines values as a way of being or believing that you hold most important. What are your core values that you live your life by? In your bulletin, you'll find a list of values that Brené offers. So go ahead and take them out. Take a look at this list carefully and try to narrow down your values to just two. This may be hard for you. Some of you might be saying, but this and this and this and this and this are also my values. Really try to whittle it down to two. And if you're stuck, Brené offers some guiding questions. That can also be found on the back of that same page. So when defining your two core values, ask yourself, what beliefs are most important to you that help you make hard decisions? Does this value define you? Is this value who you are at your very best? And then do you feel a deep resonance of self-identification with this value? Is it so precise and clear that it doesn't feel like a choice? Rather, it is just who you are in your life. My two core values are courage and love. So go ahead and take a moment to choose your two core values. All right, now I'm gonna give you an actual opportunity to practice vulnerability. Would you turn and share with the person near you? It doesn't have to be next to you. If it's someone you don't know, even better, what your two core values are. So go ahead and do that. All right, if you could finish sharing your last thought, we can move on.
Okay, if you want to practice even more vulnerability, here's your opportunity. Could we have a few folks, you can raise your hand, stand up and share with the rest of the congregation. You don't have to explain, just the two values, and that is it. It would also help if you stood up and said your name first, and my two values are. This is your chance. Practice some vulnerability, that courage that leads to a rich and sad. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Nice and loud. We'll get, okay, we'll get to you in just a second, Chris. Truth and integrity. Thank you. Chris, nice and loud. Patience and love. Thank you. This is your opportunity, guys. Your two core values. Thank you, Kenny. Honesty, risk taking. Is it Valerie? Janine. Janine, I'm so sorry. Janine. Accountability, Accountability and adventure. Janine. Thank you, Janine. Yes, Denny. Thank you. Respect and compassion. This is your chance. Yes, Ashley. Integrity and love. Thank you so Thank you, Dan. I understand caring and kindness. Caring and kindness. As people are saying this, if you know folks, are you nodding along and saying, yeah, that makes sense. That is his value. Adaptability and service. All right. Chaz. Order and service. Order and service. Mauricio. Uh, making a difference, perseverance. Making a difference, perseverance. Yes. Jean. Kindness and curiosity. Kindness and curiosity. Great. Yes, Kevin. Courage is contagious. Peace and authenticity. If you're that person who's like, I want to share, she's going to move on. <laughs> this is your opportunity. I know who you are because that used to be me. Yes, Brianna. Love and ambition. Thank you. All right, I, I will move on now. Okay. So, Again, I offer to you that practicing courage means you get to practice your core values, and that means a life lived in integrity. It's not always the easiest choice to make. My friend here at Mosaic, Dirisha Harris, some of you guys might know her, recently shared with me how God nudged her to speak up against racism instead of remaining silent. With her permission, I'll share what she recently emailed me. She couldn't be here today. She's at a conference. This is what she says. I am a Washington football fan, and I did not choose being a Washington football fan. I was born into it. It's legacy. Sundays with my family revolved around football growing up. Fandom came in early. And there's actually news footage somewhere of my little two-year-old self chanting our team name on top of a car during the 1983 Super Bowl parade. 
My father once told me he didn't care who I eventually chose to bring home as long as they weren't a Cowboys fan. <laughs> In my house, we totally bled burgundy and gold. But it wasn't until my 20s that I realized that the term redskin was an ethnic slur. I began to see then, with new eyes, how the headdress and antics of my beloved Chief Z were unsettling. I pictured what it would be like to have a team named the Washington N-Words, whose mascot was a black man in loincloth with a spear. Over time, I came to decide that I would still watch my team, but I would never buy or wear anything with the logo or name on it again. Fast forward several years, I was at an interfaith march against racism in Washington, D.C. with some colleagues. While there, I spotted a man who was decked out in Redskins gear. He even had a prosthetic leg, and the leg was done in the colors and patterns. I could feel my chest tighten instantly. That slur stood out in such sharp contrast to the messages of love and inclusion around us. But in full honesty, my first reaction was one to pretend that I hadn't seen what I was seeing. Maybe I was mistaken. Maybe it was just the colors, but not the logo. Maybe I wouldn't be able to catch him before he wandered off. He was a black man, maybe just a little younger than my father. Here we were, two African-American folks in a place where we were finally being supported to speak up about the injustices we face every day. All of the colleagues I was marching with were white. And more than anything, why, what I wanted was to stand in solidarity with him and feel our affinity. He did not move. He did not wander away. And I came to realize that God was giving me an opportunity and gently, lovingly, almost playfully calling me to take it. Dairisha, God whispered. It was almost like I could see the smile playing across God's face. Dairisha, I know you can hear me. This is all you, kiddo. Go on, you can do it. I made you for this. So finally, with feigned nonchalance and a heart wrapping like nervous nails against my eardrums, I sidled up to the stranger and introduced myself. I see that you're a fellow fan, I said, gesturing at his outfit. He smiled proudly, and then we chatted briefly. Then... I said it. You know, over the past few years, though, I've been thinking a lot about the name and how it makes me pretty uncomfortable. Because that term, it's actually a racial slur. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, and I wonder if you'd be open to talking to me about it. He agreed, but then he pushed back. I listened and tried to empathize and found there were actually plenty of things I could relate to. I added facts when it seemed necessary, but I never told him that his thoughts and feelings were wrong. At the same time, I kept sharing my thinking and experiences from my own journey. By the end of the conversation, we had actually shared a lot about ourselves with each other. Though there was tension in our conversation when it started, we both stayed open and respectful, and by the finish, we were openly appreciating each other. He said he was glad I had spoken to him, that I had given him a lot to think about and that he thought just maybe he'd put his sweater over his shirt for the rest of the day. 
And though it seemed counterintuitive, listening to God's voice over the voice of fear actually got me more of the very thing I had been worried I would lose. I left feeling really connected to this man as a person, and also like we were truly acting together in solidarity against racism. And both of these gifts I received in a much deeper way than I ever would have if I had just stayed safe in my silence. So thank you, Dairisha. I know you'll be listening to this later on for allowing me to share your story with courage. So as you go into the week, there are some application questions that I'd love for you to take home with you. They're found in your bulletin behind your sermon, uh, part of your sermon notes. So ask yourself, what does it look like to choose courage over comfort, as Dairisha did with the football fan? How can you invite Jesus into your practice of courage? Jesus made it clear that if we accept his invitation to be courageous, that he will meet us out there on the waters and hold us up when we fall. Guess what? We're going to fall over and over again. And that's because choosing courage is something we have to choose over and over again. It's not a one and done deal. Jesus was not going to let us drown. As he lifted Peter up, he lifts us up when we begin to doubt and fear. And Jesus invites us to a life that is lived with abundance, richness, and satisfaction. So will you accept Jesus's invitation? And will you choose courage over comfort? Thank you.